Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I need 90 minutes. If you'll give me that 90 minutes, I will give you the world, because my broadcast partners are standing by. They're ready to give us insight into the headlines that you have been hearing and are reading this last week. This is a great opportunity for all of us to understand current events in light of the prophetic scenario that's found in the Word of God. Thank you so very much for joining us. Looking forward to the conversations. Going to have an interesting conversation with Sam Rohr. He's a former state senator in the state of Pennsylvania, and they have written a letter to their legislators about lawlessness. Boy, that is so biblical. But it's the events happening in our world today. We'll also talk with Itamar Marcus in the next half hour. Well, these are stories we're covering here with our broadcast partners. And the first one we're going to is going to be Ken Timmerman. Ken covers the geopolitical events happening across the world. We give him a pulpery of issues or events to talk about. But let me just begin, Ken. I want to tell you something, buddy. We just got your brand new book, The Election Heist. And, well, we're going to have to share it between me and Judy. She started reading it. She's going to update me, and I'll read some, too. But how are the sales going on your new book? Well, so far, so good, Jimmy. I've been doing uh, quite a bit of TV with Newsmax TV. You can find that. I've put them out on my website, KenTimmerman.com. And uh, you're going to have to rip that book out of Judy's hands, I think, because uh, most people who've been reading it uh, find they can't put it out. Well, that's the way she started. In fact, she started it at breakfast this morning. And, boy, she could not put it down. I had to come and get ready for the broadcast. But uh, she's got it. She'll keep me updated, and I'll grab it out of her hand ultimately and start reading it. Well, let me get to some of the items that I want to cover with you. In fact, we were talking about the UAE-Israel deal, and it may be the start of a a real Arab Spring. Remember the Arab Spring a couple of years ago, which ultimately ended up in destruction, the removal of political leaders from their positions of authority. But this United Arab Emirates-Israeli deal may start a new Arab Spring. That sounds like a positive, doesn't it? Well, Jimmy, yes, it would be a very positive thing if it actually happens. It's a bit early yet to know, but what we are definitely seeing is a increasingly open and frank divide all across the Middle East, not just in the Arab world, but in Turkey and Iran as well. And you're having a new alliance begin to emerge where Israel has a growing relationship, not just with the United Arab Emirates, and that's a a landmark agreement, by the way, but with Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, and Oman as well. And these are countries that have all applauded the new peace agreement between the UAE and Israel. And I think uh, as this grows, you're going to see people on the ground in the Middle East demanding that their leaders reject the kind of rejectionism that they had practiced for generations in the past. You could see this even in the Palestinian areas. That would be a revolution in itself. But as I say, the region is splitting into a a camp that is working with Israel, that is pro-Western, that is working with the United States, and this really pro-Ottoman, neo-Ottoman empire led by Erdogan and Persian imperialism sweeping through the region. So those two camps, I think, are very important, uh, a peace camp, if you wish, and a camp of war. 
You mentioned uh, Turkey, and this is going to be a defining moment for them as Erdogan endeavors to try to be the pan-Islamic leader of the Islamic world and, of course, revive the old Ottoman Empire. Talk to me about that. Well, again, it's important. Erdogan has been one of those who has vigorously rejected the peace deal between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. Uh, he said it's unacceptable. He said it's uh, spitting in the face of the Palestinian people. He wonders publicly, you know, he, this is in the past, but he said, you know, is Israel or Hitler more barbarous? Nobody knows. And, and he is becoming increasingly radical, and he is allying with the radicals in the regime. He is working with Iran against the Kurds in Syria and Iraq. And elsewhere, he's working with the Palestinians, in particular Hamas. He's working with this uh, Islamist regime in Libya. He signed a new agreement with them again this week. Uh, and he, of course, continues to work with pro-ISIS groups in Syria and in Iraq. So he is now trying to be the head of the radical faction, the radical anti-Israeli and anti-American faction. And uh, I have long been saying it's time for the United States to recognize He's no longer an ally of the United States, but we're starting to hear more voices raised in Congress and elsewhere saying the same thing. Let me uh, follow up on that statement about uh, Turkey and Libya and what's going on. The Libyan unity government, which is the Islamic element of that body politic, they have signed a military accord with not only Turkey, but Qatar as well. Give us some more details on that. We see, Jimmy, it's really only on this program that you hear about this type of thing. Uh, this is not a story in the American national media. They have forgotten Libya since uh, they've forgotten, well, they couldn't find Benghazi to start with, right? Benghazi, who is he? That was the response after the 2012 attacks from the national media. We have been following this. We have been following Turkey's involvement with the uh, government of national accord in Tripoli. It is an Islamist government. It is a government of the Muslim Brotherhood by the Muslim Brotherhood, and uh, they are working together with Turkey and, of course, Qatar. Remember, these are the same people that we saw in the uh, bringing down of Gaddafi at that time under the Obama administration with Hillary Clinton as the Secretary of State in 2012. They were America's allies, Turkey and Qatar. As extraordinary as that sounds to us today, they were. The U.S. government under Obama and Hillary Clinton wanted to work with the Muslim Brotherhood. They wanted to work with Turkey. They wanted to work with Qatar. Uh, today, those countries are clearly American enemies. They're working against our interests. And uh, thank goodness that our government has realized that they are not helping things in the Middle East. Now, let me also praise the Lord for the Prophecy Today radio network that is getting this information out. As Ken just said, mainstream media not covering some of these stories. Let me also follow up on the situation in Beirut, that massive explosion that took place there. Understand that it was triggered by chemicals that were owned by Hezbollah and supplied by Iran. Some more details if you can give them, Ken. Well, Jimmy, there, there are increasing calls, uh, not just inside Lebanon, but in the U.S. Congress as well, for an international investigation. The president of Lebanon, Michel Aoun, a Maronite Christian, who has been allied with Hezbollah since he first came into office, is rejecting those calls. He does not want an international investigation, and guess why? because that will definitely point the fingers at Hezbollah, just as the international investigation 
into the assassination of the former prime minister, Rafi Kariri, also pointed fingers at Hezbollah. By the way, that investigation, they published the results of that investigation the same week as the giant explosion in the port of Beirut. I wonder if the explosion was maybe a way of uh, taking attention away, you know, among Lebanese people of the uh, that international investigation that pointed its fingers directly and named names of Hezbollah leaders who were directly involved in murdering Rafi Kariri all those years ago. It may seem like speculation, but I would suggest it's reality. Well, we cannot talk on our conversations each week, Ken, without bringing up Iran. It looks like they've unveiled a new missile, which will increase the range for having this missile that could carry a warhead, a nuclear weapon of mass destruction warhead. Boy, that's not good news. Well, it's not. And uh, the Iranians are constantly unveiling new missiles. So we have to wait, I think, a little bit to see uh, how real this new cruise missile is. It's supposed to have a range uh, of 621 miles. We just have to see if it actually turns out to be a real program. The Iranians are very good at launching paper programs, paper military uh, programs, paper weapons. Uh, So let's see how often they actually uh, fire this Hajj Qasim missile named after Qasem Soleimani, and whether it actually hits any targets. I'm a China watcher, Ken. You are, too. We come together to talk about China. They've held their second live-fire drill in the Himalayans in the past month. I mean, is this something between India and China at this point that we need to look at? Uh, Yes, I think we have to keep our eyes on this, but also keep our eyes on the military drills that they've launched simultaneously in the Strait of Taiwan, threatening uh, the government of Taiwan. Remember, China considers Taiwan as part of its territory, as part of one China. And uh, they have always uh, pressed the United States not to recognize Taiwan and not to sell weapons to Taiwan. Well, just last week, the Trump administration sold another 66 F-16 fighter bombers to Taiwan, and this has got the Chinese very upset. I think what we're seeing with both uh, these exercises in the Himalayas Live fire exercises, by the way, pretty dramatic, uh, uh, destroying the base camps of an enemy behind enemy lines, right, with uh, long-range artillery and cruise missile strikes. I think what you're seeing is the Chinese really flexing their muscles. They're showing off new generations of weaponry that have not been used in combat before. They're testing those weapons, but showing the world that they have this capability today, which just 10 years ago they did not have. And... uh, If I were the Indians, I would be very worried. If I were the Taiwanese, I would be very worried. You see, we bring Ken Timmerman to this broadcast table, and if you've been listening this last couple of minutes, maybe 12, I guess, we've been talking with Ken, you recognize how important it is to have his analysis of what's going on with these world events. Almost as exciting, Ken, as reading your book. I'm going to grab it from Judy when I get finished with the broadcast. (laughs) I'll see if I can catch up with her or she can update me about the brand new book that Ken has just released entitled The Election Heist. So, so appropriate for this particular time. Hey, Ken, thank you for the conversation and the analysis. Appreciate it. We'll have another conversation next week. Thank you so much. Always my pleasure, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break when we come back. David Dolan standing by with his Middle East News Update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. I want to remind you that I do have a website. It's prophecytoday.com. This is a full-service website. It will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. For example, I have a prophecy bookstore with a number of materials that will help you as you study through the prophetic passages of God's Word. I have a number of books, DVD documentaries, and five-hour audio series on the subject of Bible prophecy. I have a prophecy Q&A section, and then I list the top ten news stories on a daily basis. These are news stories that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And I will give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. That website that you should bookmark is prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. David Dolan's standing by. He's got his Middle East news update for us. Again, another of our broadcast partners that we will contact during this 90 minutes of Prophecy Today weekend to get the details behind the headlines we're hearing and watching as we look at the mainstream media. And as Ken Timmerman mentioned earlier, we have opportunity to cover stories that are basically not covered by the other media. David, great to have you along, and let me talk to you about what's been going on this last week, a little back and forth in the Gaza Strip with Hamas and Israel, Israel warning Hamas of a war to come, even as Egypt is seeking to try to ease the tensions. What can you tell us about that southern part of Israel, what's happening there? Well, Jimmy, there was a continuation this week of the balloon campaign uh, that it's being called in Israel. Incendiary bombs, devices, explosive devices put onto uh, mostly balloons, uh, floating objects that uh, land inside of Israel and start fires. We had uh, dozens of fires uh, this week started in that way. So Israel's been responding, and now the Palestinians have stepped up their supposed response to rockets. So we had 12 rockets fired uh, late Thursday evening into Friday morning. Well, the prime minister, the defense minister, and others made strong statements about this. And the president, Ruby Rivlin, who usually doesn't speak about such issues, himself on Friday morning issued a strong statement saying we won't put up with this. Our citizens are at risk. We're not going to have another 
spate of rockets coming into our country and hitting our towns and cities deliberately aimed at civilian centers, and Hamas will pay a strong price. Well, Hamas answered back that it will continue with its uh, campaigns because Israel is oppressing them and surrounding the Strip and cutting it off. Well, there have been some cutoffs in the past couple weeks, but it's again because the Palestinians resumed this incendiary device campaign. Nobody asked them on Israel's side to do that, that's for sure. So they're being aggressive, and the Israelis are stepping up their response. And there is, uh, again, as we've been several times before, at the point where we could see a major military operation called for, uh, or so the Israelis would would feel the leadership. And, uh, well, we know where that usually leads, a lot of trouble. Palestinian propaganda as the Hamas terrorist organization there in the Gaza Strip continues their armed struggle against the Jewish state of Israel. It's settled in, I guess, the idea that the Israelis have put together and agreed with the United Arab Emirates on a peace possibility, the signing of a peace agreement most likely in September. But, uh, David, let me ask you, was the catalyst for this Iran and their nuclear program, did Israel and the other Arab states want to be able to confront Iran and stop them from developing that nuclear weapon of mass destruction? Is that the reason for this agreement? Most experts, Jimmy, feel that without Iran in the equation, none of this would have happened because the United Arab Emirates is uh, is an Arab power. It's a pro-Western and, and this sort of thing, and it looks like they're, they may be getting some F-35s, the stealth aircraft, out of the deal, so they have some benefits, but mainly it's their fear of Iran, that also Bahrain, Qatar, uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Jordan, they all share the Sunni Muslim states, the same fear of uh, Shiite Iran. Why? Because Iran, just as we talked about Hamas, that they uh, basically control now, they've been aggressive. They've been attacking. They attacked the oil fields in Saudi Arabia last year. They've been attacking ships, intercepting them. There was an attack on a UAE ship this week, uh, in fact. So, you know, they fear Iran greatly and its aggression and its intentions, and Israel is an ally in that campaign. So that has been the propellant for sure for this uh, reconciliation or this peace accord in the making, definitely that's been behind it for sure. Fear of Iran and trying to counter its power. Meanwhile, the Jewish settlers in the area of Judea and Samaria are very angry with Prime Minister Netanyahu because of the fact he kind of backtracked on the annexation possibility, annexing Judea and Samaria and maybe even the Jordan Valley taking sovereignty over this, the settlers are not happy at all, are they? No, they're not. And they made that clear from the get-go, that they thought the cost of this uh, peace accord was just too high. Prime Minister Netanyahu has been maintaining that he just postponed the annexation, that he didn't take it off the table forever. But the UAE says that their understanding in the negotiations was that it was now suspended for a good long time at least. That's what the Egyptian uh, president said as well. So it seems that we have two versions of what this uh, peace deal is, 
And uh, if the cost is losing the chance at annexation, then it's a cost too high for the settlers and their supporters. And this could prove a problem for Prime Minister Netanyahu if new elections are are held, and that's looking increasingly likely as well. So um, he has to be careful here. But uh, the United States, President Trump, in his own uh, battle for re-election, didn't want to see the annexation at this time either, knowing that would be a blowback against the U.S. as well. So uh, it's off the table and probably for quite some time. I believe there are about five different Arab nations that uh, really are considering doing the same thing that the UAE did and make normalization with Israel a very viable possibility, even signing possibly some additional peace treaties as well. Saudi Arabia, though, earlier this week had made the statement they're not going to do anything as it relates to that until there is a relationship between Israel and the Palestinians and an agreement of some type. However, this has come to the front, David, They are thinking uh, there in Israel and even here in the United States that the Temple Mount could be a trading card uh, to entice the Saudis for a peace agreement. The Saudis control, of course, Mecca and Medina, the number one and number two Islamic holy sites. But the third site is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Could that be a trading card to entice the Saudis? Well, it could, and there has been speculation in the Israeli media about that this week. There's no doubt that the Saudis are, in effect, at peace with Israel uh, on the ground. There's uh, diplomatic contacts. There are definitely military contacts. And again, the driving force uh, shared fear of Iran, shared concern over Iran's aggression in that. So the Temple Mount, well, it is a, uh, would be a great prize for the Saudis if they could have some sort of greater influence there and whatever. But they did put out that statement earlier this week that until there's a formal Israeli-Palestinian peace, they won't formally make peace with Israel. Well, I would remind them that the PLO signed a peace deal with Israel in 1993 called the Oslo Accords. At that time, they didn't, as a result, to recognize Israel or make peace with Israel. They had every chance then to do it. But you mentioned them being the guardians of the holiest sites of Islam. Well, so they are. And so they feel that for them to make peace with the Jewish state, would be different than Bahrain or Qatar or the UAE because they are the custodians of the holy sites. It would really raise Islamic ire around the world is what they fear and really give the Iranians another card to bash the Sunni Muslims with, and uh, they don't need that at this time. Well, as of this time, Jordan has the custodial responsibilities there on the Temple Mount. What would Jordan say about a relationship between the Saudis as giving them the opportunity to have custodial responsibilities over the Temple Mount. Would Jordan be upset about that and try to stop it? They wouldn't like it, Jimmy, but no, I don't think they would try to stop it because uh, we have to look at it this way. The Saudis are the big brother. The Jordanians are the little brother. The two countries are intricately linked. They support each other. They have very shared values. They're both basically pro-American, basically dealing with Israel, even if sometimes under the table. And uh, the Jordanians wouldn't want to offend 
uh, the Saudis. They're just too important, too powerful, and they, they share the same values. So again, it wouldn't be a major change. Now, we've talked about Turkey trying to take over. That would be a different story indeed. They're not uh, Arabs, for one thing. So that would be a problem. But uh, the Temple Mount at the center of all this, Jimmy, we learned that as part of the UAE deal, that Arabs from the UAE can now come to the Temple Mount and worship there. The Israelis will allow that. They'll be given visas. But, of course, the PLO condemned that and said anybody doing that is a traitor and will go after you. So I don't expect we'll see any sort of Islamic tourism to Jerusalem from those areas in the coming uh, weeks or months. And again, Jerusalem, the center of controversy, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2. You've been listening to David Dolan with his Middle East News Update. Key to those of us who are students of Bible prophecy. David, I so appreciate what you are able to do for us. Thank you, my good friend. We'll have another conversation next week. Stay well, buddy. I'm glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Itamar Marcus is going to talk about the Palestinians trying to encourage someone to assassinate the crown prince of the UAE. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm here, as I mentioned, at Broadcast Central talking with our broadcast partners across the world, getting information, background on current events, helping us then to see how all of these current events are fitting in to a prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. We're going to be talking with Sam Rohr. He heads up the American Pastors Network, and in Pennsylvania, they've put out a letter to the lawmakers about lawlessness. We need to understand exactly what they've done. We'll bring Sam to the broadcast table in a moment. But right now, we go to Israel and to Itamar Marcus. Itamar Marcus is the team leader in an organization called Pal Watch, and their address on the internet, palwatch.org. It's the Palestinian Media Watch where Itamar and his team members, they monitor the Palestinian media, both electronic and print media, to understand really what they're saying to each other and the leadership and what they're doing with the Palestinian people. Itamar, thank you so very much for joining us today. I got your latest news update, and it was talking about the Palestinians in 
complete opposition uh, to the agreement that has been made between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. And the fact is they are developing a normal relationship, possibly the signing of a peace treaty in September. But as I've been watching the Palestinian media, and especially with the reports you sent out, the Palestinians opposed from the outset of this announcement, and they made the statement, it's like a stab in the back. Now, tell me what that actually means. What do they mean by that statement? The Palestinian leadership for years has been trying to prevent the entire Arab world or the entire Muslim world to distance from Israel, to not normalize relations with Israel, because Israel hasn't given in to all the Palestinian endless demands, including giving them Jerusalem, accepting millions of refugees. And they want the entire Arab world to isolate Israel until this happens. Now, having the United Arab Emirates break that taboo against Israel is an incredible, uh, incredible thing that this just happened, because basically it opens the door for an entire... Uh, Muslim and Arab world, certainly the, the Sunni countries. It opens the door for them to follow suit. Uh, if Israel were to have diplomatic relations and, and peace treaties with most of the Arab world, or even a significant part, some of the powerful countries in the Arab world, that would definitely be something that would prevent, uh, I wouldn't say prevent, but certainly would be something that could promote peace for long term and might, might help in preventing future wars. But in reality, have not the Arabs and the nations in the Arab League, about 23 of them, I do believe, have they not been wanting to assist the Palestinians? They wouldn't really want to stab them in the back, would they? That's exactly the case. The, what they've done is not stabbing the Palestinians in the back. It, it's only actually helping them. Israel has agreed to a significant concession to not declare Israeli law right now in areas of Judea and Samaria. So that's a major, major concession. So it actually is helpful for the Palestinians, uh, but yet the Palestinian Authority uh, is just angry with anyone who makes peace with Israel. Look, they've been offered peace so many times with Israel, and, and we've had Israeli leaders who've offered them essentially all of their demands. We've had Ehud Barak, we had Ehud Omer, both of them as prime ministers, offered the Palestinians essentially everything that they wanted and yet they didn't go for it. As we at Palestinian Media Watch, and I've told your listeners numerous times, the Palestinian Authority doesn't really want peace with Israel. They tell their people that uh, a peace treaty with Israel would be a stage towards Israel's destruction. The maps that they use and teach their children don't have Israel on the map. They have a map of uh, that Israel is covered with a Palestinian flag. So the Palestinian leadership, when now having uh, a significant Arab country, uh, sign an actual treaty with Israel. They're afraid that they're going to be isolated in their hope of eventually destroying Israel. If they really just wanted a peace treaty with Israel, this is actually something that's very beneficial for them. But as I say, that is their public message, their real, their real goal, which we have documented many times at Palestinian Media Watch. Their real goal is all of Israel, and that this is actually something that will not help toward that goal. As you and I have talked in previous conversations, Omar, I understand the United States at one time and to a certain extent has been supporting the Palestinian people there in Israel. In addition to that, the European Union, and you go into the United States and the European Union to tell 
the legislators there, the decision makers, why they should not support them. So therefore, it looks like most of the support for the Palestinian cause has come from the Arab nations. Is that pretty much on target, how it's been played out? Well, for many years, the Arab nations were giving the the, the most uh, support and the most financial support. In recent years, and this is com- something that is, is quite, sort of counterintuitive, in recent years, the Gulf states, Saudi Arabia, uh, United Arab Emirates, etc., uh, they have been incredibly frustrated with the Palestinian Authority. The Palestinian Authority just took their money, insulted them all the time, always demanded more money, and at a certain point, they really don't care about the Palestinians at this point. And I, I don't think they do. It's not, a, it's not a central issue for them. The Gulf states have something that takes up 90% or 98% of their worry, and that is Iran. Iran is a Shiite a Muslim country that very much would like to uh, be able to defeat the Sunnis. The Sunnis are the most, the majority of the, the, the Gulf states. They would like to defeat them and impose their view, their view of Islam, the, the Shiite view of Islam, on them uh, so that they see themselves as enemies. And with Iran getting closer and closer to an atomic bomb, thanks to the, the agreement that was signed by President Obama, the Israel and the Gulf states all of a sudden are becoming very, very close because of this incredible defense need that they both have. So the Palestinians who are trying to prevent Israel and the Gulf states from uniting as a defense force uh, against Iran, uh, they're actually bothering the whole Arab world. So the Palestinians, like I say, are, are no longer being championed by these, uh, these Arab countries. And I think that's the process that's playing out now. United Arab Emirates wants Israel on their side as we get closer and closer to this confrontation with Iran before Iran actually finishes building an atomic bomb. They don't care what the Palestinians want. And for you and I, if we have common enemies, we're going to join together to go against the common enemy. Itamar, as I have read your recent newsletter, it indicates that the Palestinian media may be trying to incite some Palestinians to assassinate the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed there of the United Arab Emirates. What can you tell me about that? Well, they, uh, they're using language that would indicate that he would actually be worthy of being killed. For example, they use language of calling him a traitor, and they've called him a tumor in the Arab world, and, and other things. So they've also used images which which really present him as an enemy. There's a new image that we just recently saw. We haven't even publicized it on our website yet, where he's actually seen to be similar to, the, they're presenting him similar to what they call the, the settlers who invade the Al-Aqsa Mosque. That's, of course, a terribly derogative, for, for their perspective, to, to you know, the, the settler is the lowest on the totem pole there. They feel justified in killing what they call settlers, which means, of course, every Israeli. And now they're saying that he is like them. In fact, in that new cartoon, you actually see Israeli soldiers protecting him. Uh, like I say, it's a cartoon, it's not real, but they have an images of Israeli soldiers protecting him. So uh, they're basically saying that uh, he has stabbed them in the back, and uh, without calling for it, they're putting him in that kind of a position. Do you think it's at all possible that that may be followed through on by by some Palestinian radical and try to kill the crown prince. 
Look, if he were to travel to the regions, I'm sure there would be a lot of them who would attempt it, who would be happy to have the opportunity to attempt it, I should say. I'm sure he is aware and all precautions is going to be taken, but you never know. They could also try to punish them in other ways. They probably have assets around the world, and if they do, could be targeted. I wouldn't be surprised. Itamar Marcus, he heads up Palestinian Media Watch, palwatch.org is their address. By the way, if you go to that website, you'll be able to get Itamar to send you his updates, his newsletters as well, palwatch.org. Itamar, needed to talk to you about this. When you put the article out, I thought it would be very important for our listeners to understand what really the Palestinian people are thinking today. Thank you so much, my good friend. We'll have another conversation down the road. Okay. Good talking to you. Bye. Very interesting, informative conversation with Itamar Marcus. And the Palestinian media seemingly trying to incite someone to assassinate the crown prince of the United Arab Emirates. We'll stay on top of that story with Itamar Marcus. Well, we're going to change regions of the world from the Middle East to the European Union. The man who covers that for us, John Rood. And John, let's talk about Belarus just a moment. A couple of items I want to deal with. First of all, the European Union leaders are urged to tell Moscow not to meddle in Belarus. Talk to me about that, and then I want to say what Putin's response was. Yeah, the the Belarus situation is really at the forefront. The EU is reacting to this in a very dramatic fashion. There's tens of thousands of demonstrators in the Belarusian capital, Minsk, And this is due to the uh, President Alexander Lushenko uh, receiving a landslide victory, but it's a fraudulent presidential election. So the EU Council President, uh, Charles Michel, he's saying the people of Belarus have the right to decide on their future and freely elect a leader. The EU Foreign Policy Chief, Joseph Borrell, the sheer numbers show that the Belarusian uh, population wants change and they want it now, and the EU is going to stand by them. So they really want to avoid any type of military intervention, but uh, things are actually getting very hot in Belarus, and Lukashenko is really seen as being Europe's last uh, dictator. Well, that's interesting, and that's the European side, but from the Russian side, Vladimir Putin warning Angela Merkel, who is Chancellor, of course, of Germany, and President Macron of France, saying that foreign interference in Belarus is unacceptable. That's quite a pretty strong statement from Putin, is it not? Indeed, uh, and we're seeing an escalation of tensions. The EU is apparently going to take things to a higher level here, and they're making it clear to Russia that this needs to be resolved peacefully. You know, it's not off the table that Russia could actually do something militarily here. The EU foreign ministers, they've agreed to sanction the Belarusian officials. But now we see, in particular, Merkel and Macron taking a leadership to come and make these statements to stop violence against peaceful demonstrators, uh, enter into a dialogue with opposition, and release political prisoners. This week, John, at the United Nations in New York City, our Secretary of State, uh, Mike Pompeo, went there to try to get the United Nations to snap back 
on these U.N. sanctions against Iran and the Iranian nuclear deal. However, he's running into some interference from the European Union. What's the problem there? Yeah, the U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, is saying the European nations are siding with the Ayatollahs. And indeed, they have by taking this abstention in the U.N. Security Council both the U.K., France, and Germany, which we've seen as our allies, are abstaining and even questioning if there is uh, legal grounds are there for the United States to uh, continue the arms embargo against Iran. So we know the U.S. pulled out of the deal in 2018, and the Secretary of State has said, you know, the U.S. is the only nation to have the courage and conviction to put forward this U.N. resolution. And so the U.S. is going to continue to advocate to never allow Iran to buy and sell conventional weapons, but the E.U. has tried harder and harder to keep this Iran deal alive, while Iran, in return, just constantly pressures the European Union. Well, is the European Union looking at the money, or are they politically seeing this should be the stand they should take? That's a, that's a good point. I believe that the money is a big, big part of it, but if politics enter into it as well, that would be a close second. Talk to me about the European moving towards defining a new Europe. I know there's going to be a special meeting. They're going to try to give a new definition to Europe. What's this all about? I love to uh, consider and, and comment on these large-scale stories the concept of a new Europe. The EU is constantly reinventing itself. And now at the EU summit, getting the leaders together of the 27 uh, nations of the European Union, it's always an idea to gain um, more influence and be more assertive on the world stage. And so now France and Germany, pretty much at the inner core of the European Union, and the European Union is the world's largest trading bloc. So now Germany and France, they want to work together and form more of a political force that will rival the United States and China. And so, Jimmy, this is something that we monitor very, very closely. Germany particularly is looking for the economic union to continue, but France has bigger aspirations, and they're moving more towards what we would call the United States of Europe uh, or a political union, and together right now with all these forces, Brexit, COVID, NATO under strain, stresses between France and Turkey, etc., with all of that together, we're seeing the environment for what's being termed as a new Europe. That's the voice of John Rood covering the political activities of the European Union as, of course, the prophetic is being set in place through these political decisions. John, thank you so much. We'll continue to keep a focus on the European Union again with you next week. Good speaking with you. Very important and informative report from John Rood, his European Union update. Well, we're going to Sam Rohr. I should say the Honorable Sam Rohr, because he served about 20 years in the state Senate there in Pennsylvania. Sam, you were talking when we were doing our program together this last Wednesday about a project that you have going just in the state of Pennsylvania. Now, I understand you're the president of the American Pastors Network, and there is 
a chapter of that in Pennsylvania, and you're working on a project entitled Restore the Law. I wanted to have everybody listen to what you have to say about that. In other words, basically, it's talking about lawlessness happening in the streets of America, and because of your pastor's network, you're working there in Pennsylvania to get these politicians to wake up what's going on in the streets of America, but in particular in the streets of Pennsylvania. Talk to me about this project. Well, absolutely, Jimmy. Glad for the opportunity. No matter where someone is listening to this broadcast right now, wherever they are, everyone is being oppressed to one level or another, one degree or another, no matter the state that they live in, as a result of these COVID-19 policies. Everybody says, how is all this happening? Why are we prevented from going to work or having to shut our business or having our kids being told they can't go to school or you got to wear a mask or you don't have to wear a mask and have all of the numbers and the data change from back from week to week. And what we've been told last week is not the same this week. Those things, Jimmy, are part of what has created a problem in America, and it's affected not only the schools and our businesses and our travel, but it's affected our worship. Churches all across the country are, have changed the way they are worshipped. And in the midst of this, there seems to me to be a great difficulty of people saying, exactly, what is the problem? We can feel the result of it, but it's kind of like, what is the problem? And I have felt that since I believe, since we believe that God's Word does hold the key and the answer to all issues of life, well then, why don't we go to what the Bible says about fundamental problems, root problems, and apply it to where we are today? We think that's the role of the pulpit. Now, I live in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, the governor here is instituting these same kind of policies, just like everyone listening has one degree or another in their states, and it's affected our entire lives. And I won't go into all of that. I think everybody knows that. But when it comes to a solution, what do we have? And I say at the end of the day, the only way to describe where we are is like Christ himself described the end days, and that is marked by lawlessness. Now, lawlessness in the streets are clear. We can see that, the Portlands of the world and all of that kind of thing. But, but, but really, the lawlessness in the streets was preceded, is being preceded by lawlessness in positions of civil authority. So in the past, our courts, when they ruled that marriage was not God's definition or killing a baby was okay, that really is lawlessness in the courts because it's rejecting the authority of God and saying we're going to do it our own way. Well, what's happening now across the country is that the governors, the executive branch, is making law. Well, Anybody who's a constitutionalist knows, well, that, that can't be. Well, it is happening. The governors, the executive branches, the bureaucrats are making law, which is specifically reserved for the legislature. That is, by definition, lawlessness. And the result of it is, is that all of these different things we're talking about is the result of throwing off standards uh, in medicine or research or uh, the First Amendment when it comes to assembly and church. And bottom line, we said it's time for pastors to step up and say, no, pastors should speak into this because lawlessness is sin. The Bible speaks about sin. The Bible speaks about lawlessness. But the Bible also speaks clearly about authority. 
and that God is the authority, and he gives authority to Jesus Christ before whom all will bow one day, and the individual, and the family, and the home, and civil government, all will bow beneath the feet of Jesus Christ, because that is the authority structure that God has placed before us, and our founders were wise enough to take and model that and put it into our Constitution with the balance of power, judicial, legislative, executive. But when one of those throws off God's pattern, you have lawlessness. So we stepped in with an open letter to the people, the citizens of the Commonwealth, from our pastors saying, here is the issue. And we put together a resolution that actually lays out the problem, identifies the cause, and then comes forward with a solution for both citizens and for those in the lawmaking body, which we think hold the requirement to to go forward. So it's really an attempt to say there are principles contained in God's Word, consistently put into effect in our Constitution, that need to be brought to bear and brought forward at this time in order to address the lawlessness that is before us. If we don't do it soon, we will lose, we will lose our constitutional protections for our First Amendment of assembly and speech and gathering and worship, and all the others will fall right underneath of it. This is the seriousness, I believe, of where we are, and we said it's no, there's no good to sit and complain. What's the Bible say? It holds the solutions, and that's what we put forth as a template, so we're already talking with additional people in other states as well about doing a similar thing in their states. You know, Sam, what's got me so excited about this project that you people are doing there in Pennsylvania, the pastors in particular, is that this is God's plan for human government. It's from the people up, not from the leadership down. Man, this is fantastic. That's why I'm so very excited about it. You did say you're going to use this project and try to excite the other 49 states to follow along your example, are you not? Well, that is correct, and uh, and I and I've heard now from people in two different states, uh, legislators and or pastors in two different states in the last two days. I've had the discussion. They're saying this is exactly what we need here, and I'll tell those who are listening right now if I can. You've already given it. RestoreTheLaw.org. If our listeners right now go to that, they can read the letter, they can read the resolution, and they can take and they can print it off in a very nice form. And they can ha- pass it around. They can they can take it to their pastors. What, however they do this, we have to think in terms, Jimmy. When troubles like this come, think in terms of what does God say about the problem. We have to define the problem correctly. And I'll say this: we get caught up with our with the masks and the distancing. And I say we ought to. There's a problem with those things, and we ought, we need to ask what is the truth behind them. But at the end of the day, those are symptoms. Those are symptoms. And you could change it and say, tomorrow you've got to wear a helmet, right? So uh, those things change. Those are symptoms. But at the root of the issue, we have to say, what is the law? And what is the authority for these changes to be forced upon us where we are uh, uh, forced to give up identified constitutionally guaranteed rights that came from God that our founders put into our law. we got to go there first, because if we go there, then I'll take on anybody when talks about authority, because they don't have it, and we can point them to Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, 
the life, and all authority. And ultimately, it's all about the souls of men and salvation and the gospel message anyways, but this is a great way to present exactly what God says is the truth. That address again on the Internet is RestoreTheLaw, RestoreTheLaw.org. Sam, this is a great project that uh, you're working on with the different chapters of American Pastors Network. I happen to believe if the pastors don't stand up, if the people in the churches don't stand up to this lawlessness, and it continues and it expands, that would bring down America. Would you agree with that statement? It will not only bring down America as the defender of freedom that it is around the world, the ability to preach the gospel freely will be lost, and persecution will be at the door. Literally, we can already see by what's happening in many states against churches right now. It's not a far stretch to say that persecution will come to all of us. Now, maybe that's what God wants, and we know that even in the midst of that, God will provide. We know that. However, to not stand and use our freedom to defend the freedom that we have is just criminal. We need to do what God has given us the ability to do. That's the voice of Sam Rohr. He is the president of the American Pastors Network and also the voice of Stand in the Gap Today radio broadcast, a national radio broadcast on about 500 stations. Sam, great project. Thank you so much for giving us a visit here on Prophecy Today weekend and letting us know what you're doing. We're going to encourage others to follow your example. Appreciate it. Keep looking up, man. You're doing a great job, and we praise the Lord for it. Amen. Thank you, Jimmy. Very thought-provoking conversation with Sam Rohr. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, one more broadcast partner all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our last half hour, and in a moment, David James will come to my broadcast table. We're going to be talking about the qualifications from a biblical perspective for Kamala Harris as the Vice President of the United States. You do not want to miss that conversation. Want to remind you, I have a poll question that you can answer. If you will go to my home page on the left-hand column, scroll down, you'll find the question. Here it is. Since the Bible deals with the issues of abortion and homosexuality very directly, do you believe that we must know how all candidates for president and vice president stand on these issues before we vote for either party. Very important question, our poll question today. Be sure to answer the question if you will. And also remember my prophecy moment. It's a little five to ten minute video program that's available on my YouTube channel. That address youtube.com forward slash prophecy today. Go there to watch my prophecy moment. We now bring to this microphone David James. David and I have a weekly conversation where we focus on an issue that would help us to better know how to walk in light of what the Lord wants us to do on these matters if we have a biblical perspective on the issue. 
Now, we are open to your conversation with us through email. If you would like to send something in along the way when we say something, but uh, make sure you want to base what you're talking about on biblical truth. That's where David and I, we fall down on what does God's Word have to say. We're going to be talking about Joe Biden's pick for vice president, Kamala Harris, Did I pronounce that right? I I might be chastised if I didn't. Anyway, we'll talk about that in a few moments. But David, this week we were asked a question by one of our listeners concerning the movie Before the Wrath. I know that you've watched the movie and even read the book that it's based upon. Give us some insight. Sure. Well, our listener wrote this. I've been listening to you on Prophecy Today for quite a while, meaning me. He wrote specifically to me through uh, the uh, Alliance for Biblical Integrity website. He said, I've got a question. What are your thoughts about the documentary Before the Wrath? I recently heard about it, but haven't found any reviews. I respect your insight and wonder if it's worthwhile. So I would say the movie is well done with high production values, and I would also say it's generally very biblical. It's actually a docudrama, and I'd say the movie may be better than the book, which is titled The Best Day of Forever. So it has dramatic scenes that are interspersed with commentary by several theologians and ministry leaders, and it's narrated by the actor Kevin Sorba, who is a believer, and he played the atheistic professor in the movie God's Not Dead. And the main idea is this, Jimmy, that the Galilean Jewish wedding customs of the first century and before that provide a framework for understanding the pre-trib rapture of the Church, followed by the seven-year tribulation period, and then the return of Christ with us, the Church, which is his bride, and that's why Jesus used some of the imagery and parables that he did. And I would agree with some reviewers that a flaw is the emphasis on this being a new historical discovery, because I actually first heard this from Reynolds Showers some 30 years ago, and I've taught this myself. And I would also say that some of the commentators could have been maybe a little bit more biblically precise in some of the things they said, and should have provided more scripture to back up their views, but overall it's good. Well, David, I have to confess, I also heard Rennie Showers discussing this principle of God's Word and the Jewish world itself, and have been preaching it. I stole that thought as well. (laughs) So I'm confessing that that is the case, but it's right on target. I do believe biblically. Well, one of the big news stories of this last two weeks, of course, has been Joe Biden's long-awaited pick of a running mate in this year's presidential election. And so I thought that it would be good for us to look at Kamala Harris as the possible next vice president. David, begin the discussion, please. Well, we try to be careful, so we're not identifying with or we're not blindly supporting any particular political party or thing. At the same time, uh, I would say that the moral and ethical issues that we're concerned about are inevitably intertwined with politics. So it didn't surprise me when Joe Biden picked Kamala Harris as his VP, and he had said his running mate would be a woman, but honestly, I think that's a bit of a problem in and of itself, not because a woman shouldn't be vice president, but because it's discriminatory right from the start. And what I mean is that he was eliminating the possibility of choosing a man who may have been more qualified by making gender determining factor and also being black and Asian, uh, which isn't a problem in and of itself. 
either, not at all, but despite the fact that there were white women in the running for vice president, her race also became one of the ultimate criteria. And so how is that not a problem when we're supposed to be colorblind at this point in history? And another thing is, when you go back to the debates uh, earlier in the summer, she absolutely trashed Biden over his words and his voting record. So this is really very strange at one level, and it seems to be the result of careful political calculations by the DNC, I would say. David, I think it would be helpful to continue talking about Kamala Harris's family background, where she comes from, and what can you tell us from your research on that issue? Well, she is 55 years old and was born in Oakland, California, and her mother was a cancer researcher from India who died in 2009, and her mother was born into a Brahmin family, which is the highest caste in India. Now, caste discrimination was outlawed in 1950, but it still exists. I've been to India many times, and Brahmins are very powerful in India's political system. Kamala is an Indian Sanskrit name, which means lotus, and is one of the names of the Hindu goddess Lakshmi. Uh, Harris's father is 81 years old and an economist from Jamaica, and the professor emeritus at Stanford, and he moved to the United States in 1963 and met Kamala's mother at Berkeley, and they were married that same year. Now, her father is the descendant of an Irish sugar plantation owner there in Jamaica, and he owned over 1,100 slaves. So this needs to be kept in mind. that Although uh, Kamala Harris is being claimed by many in the African-American community, she doesn't share the common heritage that many in that community have, either on her mother's or her father's side. And also, she apparently attended both a Baptist church and went to Hindu Hindu temple as a child. Uh, and then her par- parents uh, were divorced when she was seven years old, so she largely grew up in a single parent family. David, let's move now to Kamala Harris's educational background and her professional and public life. As I understand it, she's actually been in elected office for nearly 20 years. Uh, Well, that's right, Jimmy. Her first elected office was as district attorney in San Francisco in 2003. Uh, After high school, Harris majored in political science and economics at Howard University, which is a prestigious, historically black college in Washington, D.C. She also has a law degree from Hastings College of the Law in San Francisco, which is a part of the University of California. Then in 1990, Harris joined the uh, Alameda County Prosecutor's Office in Oakland as an assistant DA and focused on sex crimes. And while in that position, uh, she developed connections with powerful people in San Francisco who would provide the financial backing that ultimately led to her win in the 2003 campaign for district attorney against her former boss. Now, one of Harris's most controversial decisions was in 2004 when she declined to pursue the death penalty against a man who murdered a San Francisco police officer. And Senator Dianne Feinstein was given a standing ovation at this police officer's funeral by hundreds of other officers when she delivered a eulogy uh, in which she criticized Harris. And I would say this raises the question, given the present anti-police sentiment among Democrats. She was elected as Attorney General of California in 2010 and then re-elected in 2014. And in 2016, she became the second African 
African-American woman and the first South Asian-American in the U.S. Senate. This then is going to lead us, David, to her positions on various issues that are of interest for us as conservative evangelical believers who probably actually make up the majority of our listening audience. Well, that's right. Last week, Franklin Graham said this, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are labeled as the most pro-abortion presidential ticket in the history of our nation. This should be of great concern to all Christians. Then the New York Times ran an article that noted she sponsored the Medicare for All bill offered by Senator Bernie Sanders, which would create a single-payer system and eliminate private health insurance. When she was an attorney, she described herself as a progressive prosecutor and she pushed to the left on issues like the death penalty and has been a staunch supporter of the LGBTQ community. Uh, According to a Politico voting guide, she wants to abolish the death penalty and eliminate mandatory minimum sentences. She supports very few abortion restrictions and wants to eliminate the Electoral College. She's also said she wants to slash the defense budget to repeal statutes against illegal immigration and is against additional funding for the border wall. And according to the Washington Times, she wants compared ICE officers to the KKK. She also opposed Brett Kavanaugh during his confirmation hearings and has called for an an impeachment inquiry against him. Then there was another Politico article that noted that Harris's shifting positions on key policy matters actually undermined her short-lived run for the presidency, and some have actually called her chameleon Harris because of this. And we need to remember this, too, that if Biden is elected, I think it's very unlikely that he'll finish the first term. You know, Dave, it seems to me that In essence, we would be voting in this upcoming presidential election for the next two presidents. David, how would you respond from a biblical perspective to those who argue that believers should not get involved in the political process? And even for some, that is to the point of refusing to vote because they don't like the idea of voting for the lesser of two evils. Well, those are good questions, Jimmy. I I think a strong biblical case can be made for being involved, depending on one's conscience and their gifts and abilities and opportunities they might have. So, starting with Noah in Genesis chapter 9, God established a basic form of human government to restrain evil. Uh, Then there was Joseph and later Moses in Egypt, whom God used uh, at very high levels in a pagan empire. Uh, And then there were the judges and kings in Israel, and even though the church isn't establishing a theocracy, Paul does tell us in Romans 13 that human government comes from God himself. And then there were prophets like Elijah and Isaiah, whom God used to influence pagan rulers, and then Daniel had a prominent role in the Babylonian and Persian governments. And then, of course, there was Esther, who took advantage of her political influence to save the Jewish people. Then in the New Testament, Paul took advantage of the political system, uh, appearing before rulers, and then even appealing to Caesar in order to escape death in Jerusalem and get to the capital of of the Roman Empire. And we know that the gospel was even preached in Caesar's household. And when it comes to voting for the lesser of two evils, we would be voting
voting for the lesser of two evils, even if we were voting for ourselves or for our pastor, because we're all sinners. So there's just no political purity in a fallen world. And then I would close with this, Jimmy. If you have two candidates and one stands for abortion and against Israel, while the other stands against abortion and for Israel, how could you not vote and for whom would you vote? Very provocative question for those eavesdropping on this conversation. David, I need to be honest because as I was listening to your responses to my questions, I kept thinking of that old saying on the television program Dragnet many years ago, Joe Friday making the statement, only the facts, ma'am, only the facts. And that's what we've endeavored to do, just simply give you the facts in this conversation. Thank you so much, David, for your research. I think this is going to be helpful to the body of Christ as they make a decision how they will vote in the upcoming presidential elections. And I want you to get back to work now. We're going to have another issue to deal with next week and looking forward to that. Thanks, Jimmy. Great to be with you again. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'll take what my broadcast partners have said the details they've given us behind the headlines, and we'll open the Bible, take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today on Prophecy Today weekend, we received some very informative and important reports on current events happening in our world today. 
These are reports that mainstream media will not be covering. I'm grateful for the insight that we get from our broadcast partners. And by the way, if you had to miss any of these reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to PTRN. It's on the home page, right-hand column, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you will find all of the reports from our broadcast partners today so that you can listen to them, re-listen to them, or tell a friend or family member about these reports. They need to hear them as well. Again, that address, prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Now let me rehearse, if you will, the lead stories from our broadcast partners and give you my prophetic perspective. Ken Temmerman talked with us about the United Arab Emirates and the Israeli peace process that is in place and moving towards a signing somewhere in the Middle East, most likely in the month of September. But Ken brought to our attention that this could be another Arab Spring, however, this time for the good. You know, the world wants peace. When Jesus Christ comes back to the earth at the second coming, he will bring that peace. However, before that, the Antichrist a false messiah, will come and confirm a peace agreement with Israel and all of her neighbors. That's Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. The more we see peace between Israel and her Arab neighbors, the more we see the possibility of the fulfillment of that prophecy. Notice it did not say that the Antichrist would sign a peace agreement but instead confirm it, strengthen it, and make it stronger. David Dolan gave us his Middle East news update. This last week, Israel had to warn Hamas about a full-fledged war that could break out. Hamas has a stated goal to destroy the state of Israel and establish a Palestinian state called Palestine. As they continue to send those fire balloons across the border from the Gaza Strip into Israel and destroy the agricultural fields there in the south of Israel and continue to fire rockets into the state of Israel, Hamas is moving forward in their struggle to establish their state through an armed struggle. God said through the prophet Malachi, that the Edomites, the Palestinian people of today, that they will return and they will rebuild. Then the Lord said there in Malachi chapter 1 that the Lord will call their borders the borders of wickedness forever and have indignation against them. The Palestinian people making every move to set the stage for these prophecies to be fulfilled. In fact, we talked with Itamar Marcus. He heads up the Palestinian Media Watch team. They monitor the Palestinian media, both electronic and print media. And the Palestinian media this last week has been urging someone to assassinate the United Arab Emirates Crown Prince who leads these seven Arab kingdoms there on the Persian Gulf. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict, in reality, when you stop to think about it, 
is 4,000 years old, dating back to Genesis 25 and the birth of two boys to Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau. This conflict will continue, of course, as Jacob becomes the Jewish people and Esau the Palestinian people, this conflict continuing until the end of the seven-year tribulation period, as foretold in Obadiah, verses 15 to 18, and the call by the Palestinians to assassinate the UAE crown prince is a part of this prophetic scenario. John Rood is the man who covers the European Union. He lived in Brussels for over 30 years. He knows what's going on. And we talked about the European Union interfering with the United States as they attempt to get the United Nations to snap back sanctions on the Iranian nuclear deal. By the way, that nuclear deal was a disaster from the very outset. It gave Iran billions, that's a B, billions of dollars to develop their nuclear weapon of mass destruction and actually to support terror groups across the world. Now, this is a part of a prophetic scenario that you read about starting in Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5, where it mentions Persia, which is modern-day Iran. We talked with Sam Rohr. He served as a state senator in Pennsylvania for almost 20 years. He is the voice of Stand in the Gap Radio today. And we talked about a letter that they are sending to the legislators to stop lawlessness. The reality is that lawlessness is happening in the streets of America and is, in fact, intensifying. In fact, it is expanding into other cities in the United States. Jesus mentioned lawlessness in Matthew 24 and verse 11, and he said it would be a sign of his second coming, not the rapture, but his second coming, which happens after the seven-year tribulation period. What's interesting to me, we are seeing what would be the beginning of these signs for his return, and that's at least seven years from now. And David James and I looked at Kamala Harris and her past, present, and future. Two major concerns as we had that conversation, her stand on abortion and homosexuality. Now, these are the main issues according to God's Word. Genesis 19, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah for homosexuality. And when you look at Romans chapter 1, you're talking about homosexuality and what the Lord thinks about it. All of these reports from my broadcast partners have come to build a case for the next event to take place in God's plan for the future, the rapture, to happen even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up unto Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee.